You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, great uh, another day here in the Phoenix Valley. The weather feels great. And I know probably many of you are getting ready to watch the Super Bowl uh, this Sunday. So, you know, I really wish Arizona would have been there. But, hey, you can't, can't get everything you want. But uh, Hey, today we're jumping in again in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Those of you that do have a digital device or a Bible that you want to open it up, you can jump in there. John chapter 4, verses 30 through 42. Uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, again, the story of the woman at the, the well and Jesus going off the grid uh, to reach this, this uh, young lady. So today, what I want to do before we get started, I just want to take a moment and celebrate this morning right before first service. Um, I saw Ed Black out there uh, with a young boy, uh, and they were preparing for a signing ceremony right after first service. And so if you're new to the church or perhaps have forgot, we have a great ministry called Fathers in the Field, and we're pairing uh, great godly men in our church as father mentors to fatherless boys. And so today we're going to celebrate another one of those matches so that together we can make a great difference. Let's celebrate Ed Black and that step of... Uh, so Ed and Nita are part of our church, and we're grateful for their uh, partnership and, and ministry and missions. And so uh, uh, Ed's going to be teaching this young boy uh, all about the Christian life and, and what it looks like to be a man. And so I'm really proud of, of this ministry that we've got, and I'll share with you more. Uh, also, after I'm done preaching today, we're going to do something we haven't done in a very, very long time. Uh, we're going to have an impromptu sharing time uh, where you, anybody in the church, could just get up and just share, hey, here's what God's doing good in my life. Let's take a moment and give praise for that. So I'll give you more instructions about that uh, as we kind of move forward and uh, as we get to that time. But if God's doing something really great, and perhaps even in the message, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and say, this is something that people need to know and we need to give praise and thanks for. It's really important to make it a habit and a routine to give uh, thanks to God for the good things that are happening in our life. And so we want to take a moment today and just celebrate some of the things that are happening within the church and in the lives of you as our congregation. Let me pray for us and we're going to get started in John chapter 4, verses 30. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the authority of your word. Thank you for the joy that we find in the Christian life. Father, where there's uh, sorrow, uh, might you bring an uplifting of encouragement through the ministry of the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that there is something here for all of us. We pray in your mighty name, Jesus' name, the name above all names. Everybody said, Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I want to catch you back up on the storyline of actually what took place um, with Jesus going off the grid to reach a woman. Uh, he had a divine appointment set that he went to Samaria to meet this woman uh, that would ultimately change her life. So I'm going to show you the video again and come back up and teach. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am He. The first one was named Ramin. 
you were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. <laughs> but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. you know these things because you are the Christ I'm going to tell everyone I was counting on it <laughs> spirit and truth spirit and truth it won't be all about mountains or temples soon just the heart <laughs> you promise I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your, um... Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? All right, isn't that good? That's really good. Uh, let's jump in and we're going to start reading, picking up the story in verse 30. It says is that they went out of the town and were coming to him. Uh, is the woman ran away and she began to share about all that uh, Jesus had done, uh, people caught word really quickly and started coming uh, to that well to hear about uh, Jesus as perhaps the Messiah. Uh, this woman had gone out and she begins to say, uh, this is a man who, who, who uh, told me all that I had done. She was not ashamed of her past anymore. She had been changed. She moved from shame to change. Um, in that moment that we saw captured in the video and in the storyline of Scripture, uh, you know and I know that transformation can happen pretty quickly. Um, for some of you, perhaps that's part of your testimony. In an encounter with Jesus Christ, things just changed. Other times, it's very subtle, right? It takes a long time for you to feel or see those changes. But this is one of those radical conversion stories that we often celebrate in the Christian life. Verse 30, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Uh, he was hungry. He was tired. Remember, he had hiked perhaps 10 to 15 miles just to get there uh, to meet this woman. Verse 32 says, But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus, again, is uh, going to tell them that, in a sense, that he's completely satisfied. He's completely fulfilled in what's going on. I don't know if you've ever done something before that is just incredibly exhilarating. Your adrenaline is pumping, and you're not hungry anymore. In fact, for me, uh, oftentimes, in between, if you said, Ryan, Pastor Ryan, let's go eat a donut right after first service, or even sometimes after second service, I need time uh, for my body to be ready to eat, even if I am hungry, because I'm already so energized and amped up about what's happening. Jesus is deeply fulfilled with the ministry that's been taking place. These disciples are 
uh, confounded about the situation. Uh, Jesus had crossed all sorts of boundaries uh, from a religious perspective, from Jews to Samaritans, uh, from a gender perspective, from male to female, um, from an ethnic perspective, being a Samaritan. So he has crossed all sorts of racial boundaries, gender boundaries, religious boundaries, and uh, it's a pretty exciting moment. Jesus knows as well because he is God, he's the God-man, knows exactly the implications and the powerful uh, results that will occur due to this encounter. Uh, verse 33, it says, uh, so, uh, verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? This was the comic line. It's very interesting. Jesus had this powerful encounter with this woman. Um, they uh, are just simply stuck on the fact that, is he hungry? Who brought him something to eat? They're not gauging and, and, uh, and cued in to the fact that Jesus isn't talking about physical food. He's talking about uh, the ministry work that he's doing is feeding his soul. Um, so they're stuck on what's he, what's he going to eat. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, uh, clarifying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Uh, there is an order within the Trinity. God the Father sent the Son. Uh, Jesus and the Father send the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is in subordination to the work and the will of the Father. Remember, later on at the cross, uh, before he goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, may it not be my will, but your will be done. I'll, I'll, I'll follow this through uh, for, to accomplish your plans and purposes. Jesus wants to do uh, the Lord's will in this. Uh, verse 35, uh, Jesus now is trying to awaken them to the reality that there is a, a spiritual awakening uh, that is about to occur. Uh, Jesus has gone public with his identity as the Messiah, uh, first and foremost, to this woman. And it's a pretty shocking reality. It says, verse 35, he says, Do you not say that there are four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. I think what Jesus is perhaps referring to is actually perhaps the people that are coming out to meet him. Um, this well would have been situated in, uh, outside of the city. People would, there'd be fields surrounding perhaps the, the area of the city, and individuals are coming out, and it was very common and custom uh, for people of that day to wear white robes. And so in this time, the men and the women are coming out, we know, that are coming out to meet Jesus. Jesus is pointing to the fields, and perhaps these are the men and the women of Sychar that are coming out to meet Jesus and uh, hear about what had happened. He uh, says in verse 36, um, he says, uh, I already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. What Jesus is uh, describing is the impact that happens when somebody's sharing the gospel or sharing the good news. Um, there is one who reaps and one who sows. And Jesus in this event has done both. Um, he has shared and now he's reaping the rewards because people are already hearing about the work of the Messiah and they're coming back out. Verse 37 says, for, he, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Um, this is true, and you know this and I know this, that oftentimes in ministry and uh, as a Christian, when you share a message, the uh, illustration is, and the Christian faith is, is that we're sowing. We're sowing seeds. And you know and I know if you've ever planted anything, they don't grow immediately. Things take time. And so here, uh, Jesus says, um, there's one who sows and another reaps. And so we're going to see that uh, take place in this event. Jesus is doing both, in a sense. And then in verse 38, it says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and have entered into their labor. Verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because, help me out, of the woman's testimony. 
Um, this woman had testified, and look what she said. He told me all that I ever did. It's a small town, and everybody knew about this woman. She had already tried to uh, avoid people of the persecution, the insults, the gossip, the rumors about her, so she would go to this well in midday to avoid the people. Everybody knows her story, but she is not ashamed of her story anymore. She's been changed by his story. And so it's a powerful deal. She's not ashamed, and she's going around. He told me all that I ever did. Um, You need to know as a Christian that your testimony matters. Your story of how God's worked in your life truly matters. Oftentimes we're ashamed of our past because we think uh, that if people really knew about our past that they would not uh, uh, like us anymore or think far less of us. But here we see this woman comes out and she clarifies about her testimony. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, that is Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. Um, verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to, them, to him, they asked him to stay with him and he stayed there two days. I find this interesting that Jesus Christ uh, is going to pause for a moment and spend two days with all these inquiring individuals about uh, his, his uh, declaration that he is the Messiah. And uh, they know that this woman's story, uh, they have bits and pieces of understanding of um, uh, God. They, under, they accept uh, the first five books of the uh, Old Testament that's called the Pentateuch. And so they have some knowledge, but here they're receiving extra knowledge uh, from the one and only Messiah. And so they're incredibly privileged, and Jesus takes two days to spend with them. I don't know if you've ever spent any significant time with, with somebody, perhaps on a retreat or some kind of opportunity where you have two days to soak up uh, wisdom and encouragement uh, and insight. Here, this is exactly what, what she has, and so do uh, many of the Samaritans from that town. Here's the result in verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. So many more believed. There's already been a lot of people that believe because of the woman's testimony. Now many more believe because of Jesus' word, Jesus' teaching. Additionally, we see, it says in verse 42, they said to the woman, they're clarifying, it's no longer because of what you said, that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the only one that can bring eternal life. They realize this is the Messiah. This is the one and only Savior. So there is a great revival that has taken place. Uh, Many have come to faith in Jesus Christ, perhaps over a few-day period of time, Uh, maybe you've been to uh, festivals or evangelistic events where it's over a weekend and uh, you see great things happen. Uh, I worked uh, for many years uh, helping and assisting the Luis Palau Evangelistic Association uh, while I was a youth pastor in Little Rock and uh, working in Texas as well. And we would put on festivals and uh, we would see thousands and thousands of people come to faith in Christ over a weekend. Uh, This is exactly what's happened here. This is a a crusade, in a sense, that's taking place. A a revival's breaking forth. And it's among the Samaritans. The Jewish people have always been called by God. There's been a special covenant that was made to them, but they were to be called to be a light unto the nations. Um, But the, 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 the Gospels share with us that the Jews rejected the message that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, And immediately, Jesus begins to broadcast, if you will, the message of his role as the Messiah and his identity, and there is a massive influx of new believers in the Christian faith. So, here's what I want to challenge you to do uh, for us as a church. I want to talk about uh, the importance for us at North Valley and Christians in our culture, in our time, of going off the grid to share our faith with other people. I think there's three practical principles that we can learn from uh, about Jesus and the woman at the well. Number one, if we're going to share our faith with other people, we need to take the initiative. 
uh, taking the initiative is part of uh, being an influencer. Uh, at North Valley, we define uh, leadership like this. It's taking the initiative for the benefit of others. Um, Jesus Christ took the initiative. We see in the, uh, the storyline, he had to go to Samaria. Um, most people wouldn't travel there, but Jesus took that initiative to do that. Uh, John 4.4 4 says that he had to go. Uh, he had to help this woman who'd been trying to find love in all the wrong places. And Jesus takes the initiative, meets this individual. I remember years ago, uh, when we were at Barry Goldwater High School, um, there was a number of folks, pretty transient, in the community that were homeless. Uh, one uh, female in, individual, uh, I remember she came into our church offices one day, and uh, she was a French-Canadian, probably in her 20s, and there's kind of this hip, cool thing to do uh, to just like go off the grid and be homeless. If you haven't seen it in some of the other cities, it's a very popular thing to do, unfortunately. Um, this young lady came into our offices, um, and uh, she, we got to hear her story. She said she moved to the U.S. Uh, to find her love. And uh, we began to inquire about her love, and that man, uh, something happened in the relationship, and it disbanded, and she was heartbroken. So she begins attending our services, and over a period of time, she was invited into a Bible study where we were studying about true love found through Jesus Christ in 1 John. She ends up attending that Bible study, and then we began to teach her and tell her that the greatest love you'll ever find is not in another person it's in Jesus Christ. And until you get that relationship fixed in your life, nothing else is going to work. I think there's a very powerful um, example that's going on. Jesus is taking the initiative for this woman. What was wrong with this woman? She had tried to find love through people and cycled through relationship after relationship after relationship, and she's totally ashamed and totally unsatisfied. And Jesus Christ takes the initiative, speaks words of life into her, tells her that he is the living water, he is the only one that will satisfy, and until that takes place and get her relationship life right, she's never going to be living right. Um, this young lady ended up receiving Jesus Christ. She was walking through, the gospel, or through 1 John uh, when we told her, look, the love that you need, the love perhaps that you're searching for, is Jesus Christ. And perhaps this is just a divine appointment that you've walked into our church and you cannot find that fulfillment in relationships and you will never get right until you get right with Jesus Christ. She came to faith in Christ, we baptized her, and she ended up marrying another Christian young homeless guy. And I thought that was kind of interesting. But together, they are off venturing somewhere in Canada to this day. Last we saw them, they were out in Flagstaff somewhere hitchhiking to Canada. But God has a way of working, and I'm glad that we were there to do that. My challenge to you is to take the initiative. Uh, Jesus speaks up. He speaks first. He says to the woman, and she's, she's uh, floored that he is having a conversation with her, and uh, Jesus made the appointment, if you will. He had to go to Samaria. I want to challenge you to take the initiative with people around you. Perhaps this is walking across the street and having a conversation with a neighbor at a mailbox. Uh, perhaps this is just texting or calling a friend and telling them, hey, I, you came to my mind today. I just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit will put somebody on your mind, and you should... Uh, lean into that and tell that person, you came to mind today, but on the backside, you need to understand that's probably the work of the Holy Spirit. That's probably a message that you're supposed to share, and it's probably going to do something really powerful and wonderful if you would just go with it. And so God wants to work in and through you so that you help people. We are in the service industry as Christians. This is our role. This is what we do. We're supposed to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. And it's not always, always clearly laid out there for us. We have a helper with us, uh, the Holy Spirit, to guide us, to prompt us to take the initiative. Um, 
texting or calling a friend, or maybe it's just having a conversation with somebody in your everyday life. I mean, the ministry and the style of Jesus is constantly uh, not scheduled. It's almost impromptu. At least that's how we see it. Um, This is because God works in divine providence. Providence is how God orchestrates people and places and times and things in our everyday life and kind of makes it just all work together. Um, Jesus it goes to Samaria. He didn't tell the disciples, look, we're going to meet this lady here. We're going to stay for days. Like, it appears to the disciples, this is just happening. This is just kind of rolling and we're changing and adjusting our schedule as needed. I think that if we're going to share our faith, we need to be highly flexible with our time. There'll be people that you bump into in different places. Just yesterday, I was at AutoZone uh, talking to this guy, and he was telling me all about some of the things that were going on with his business and his work, and we ended up having a conversation. By the end of it, I'm inviting him to church, and uh, I hope to see him here. Uh, uh, not everybody's like that. I get that. My wife gets frustrated when we walk into a grocery store. I'll be like, hey, I think I know that person. Let me, I'll be right back. And she's like, no, 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 no. You come with me. Uh, we'll be at a movie theater. We'll be anywhere. And I will want to engage at some level, if I can, with people. And she always says to me, you think you know everybody. And I say, well, they look very familiar to me. So, uh, so. My, my, one of the, the, the phrases that I use a lot, though, is I, and I'll, I'll have a unique advantage to get to Jesus and the church in my conversations, but don't we always say when we first meet somebody, at least guys, let, let me speak to you for a minute, isn't it true that most of the time when we meet another guy, we usually say, what do you do? Um, it's a very, for guys are, uh, we want to just know, what do you, what do, you do for work? Like, because your work helps explain a little bit about who you are. And so oftentimes, I'll start with that. I'll say, hey, man, it's great getting to know you. What do you do? What do you do? Oh, I work. I do this. I do that. Oh, great. And then I know the question is coming back to me, and they say, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. Sometimes it's a conversation killer, but I use it, and I'll say stuff like, but I'm not your typical pastor. Oh, really? Okay. Well, tell me about that. And so then we get into a conversation about, I go straight into my testimony. Jesus Christ changed my life, man, and I just want to help people. Um, And that's a bridge for me. You need to be thinking about how Jesus Christ wants to use you to help and to heal people. Um, This is so critically important. Um, Jesus was modeling exactly what ministry and missions looks like. I mean, literally... He started at Jerusalem, he went through Judea, he goes to Samaria, and he's going to the ends of the earth. Those of you who know your Bibles, that might sound familiar to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's the model. So I want to challenge you to have these faith conversations, perhaps with people at work, people at home, uh, your family. One of the most fastest ways to grow uh, the Christian faith movement has been taking place is through kinship relationships, through family, worldwide. Faith, uh, the transformation and the growth of Christianity has happened through family. Um, So I want to challenge you, take the initiative. Number two, I would challenge you is to get outside. Get outside. And what I mean by this is to get out, outside of the church. I mean, uh, there's something incredibly exciting when you move beyond just letting your faith be categorized as Sunday in this room. Uh, Jesus never intended that our faith would stay here, but rather our faith would permeate and penetrate every area of our life. Um, For me, as an outdoorsman, I love getting outside. I love seeing the nature. I love seeing the opportunity of just the beauty of creation. Uh, last Sunday, right after church, it was the last day of quail season, and I said, Sam, would you come with me? And we're going to go to a new spot. And we spent the, the uh, afternoon into the evening. It was the last day of quail season, and uh, we had the best hunt. I think the best hunt I've, I've had all season. And it was with my son. It was the most proud like experience I could have. We watched the sunset. I took it all in. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And we got a lot of birds. And my dog did really great. And, and it was just a great way to end. But there's something about it for me to be outside is to be connected 
not to Mother Earth, but to my King and my Creator. I know that I am His, his creation, and I know that He's told us that we, in a sense, can have adventures through this earth. So to soak all that in is such a wonderful experience. I would say the same thing, if not more, is their joy for all us as believers and me as a believer to share my faith with other people. And I love teaching the Bible. Everybody says to me, okay, you know, whether out of duty or out of uh, genuine uh, feeling of Pastor Ryan, great job teaching, really appreciated the word today. And that's just a side note. We know that even when it's terrible, you guys tell us that. So thank you very much. Um, Side note real quick. One time we were at the Harkins Theater and the sound guy forgot to shut me off and I sat down and my wife said, I don't know. And I said, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> and the enti- everybody heard it. And I stood up and said, sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then sure enough, afterwards, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Like, yeah, thanks for lying to me. That's great. Um, I have so much joy teaching the Bible. I love it. It's such a wonderful opportunity for me to grow and be disciplined into God's Word. Um, but I, I think I honestly have more joy sharing my faith with somebody who doesn't know a lot about Jesus. Um, and uh, when I first married Leslie, I told her, I said, there's three things that I'm, I feel like God's calling me to do. It, number one, it could be planning a church. Number two, working with the Luis Palau team and being a campaign evangelist. Number three, starting an out, Christian outdoor leadership school. And, uh, and she said, let's go for number one. I said, why? And she said, I grew up in the military um, I've traveled my whole life. I've dreamed about starting a family and being in one city for one lifetime. And I thought to myself, that would be legacy right there. What if we did that? What if we just planted one church, one lifetime, all for the glory of God, and perhaps there'd be generational impact? And so we didn't go the Luis Palau route. We decided we'll just anchor down, and this is what we're doing. Um, Getting outside, I, I, I want to challenge you to think about Jesus going outside and the importance of that uh, in his model of ministry for you. At this church, we call every member of our church to adopt, listen to me clearly, a relational, invitational style of evangelism, that is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, while there's many other styles in sharing about Jesus, we say at this church, you need to accept the reality of this is your home. You will do relational, uh, invitational style of evangelism. That means you're building a relationship with people outside of our church. You're telling them about what Jesus is doing in your life. You're inviting them to church. You're inviting them to a community group, whatever. Be the uh, opportunity you sense there is. Jesus models for us this idea of going outside of the city, outside of the temples, outside of the synagogues to meet people. It's very interesting to me in my study this week, I found out that um, Jesus actually goes outside all the time. He goes, in a sense, off the grid to reach people. Um, So just listen to these stats for a minute. In a survey of Jesus's ministry, uh, Jesus made 132 different individual encounters with people recorded in all four Gospels. So in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these Gospel accounts, these historical accounts about the life of Christ, 132 times is Jesus recorded having encounters with people. Now, let's go a little further. Out of the 132, um, guess how many he encounters these people in outside places, like in a field or on a road, Uh, 122. 122 times Jesus is recorded to have done ministry, speaking up, sharing, healing, helping, um, encouraging, restoring, confronting, whatever be the case. Uh, 120 times, 122 times it was outside. Jesus had only six meetings with others at at a temple in Jerusalem and then four in a synagogue. So what's the point? The point is, is that if we stop and think about it, 
like our ministry impact, our missionary field is not right here in this room or in the courtyard or in the kids' room. It's out there. Our impact as a church and as a Christian, our call, our model for what it looks like to share our faith is outside. And if we lose that as believers, then we fail to impact the culture for Jesus Christ. And so I've said it before, like we have to embrace this lifestyle of following Jesus as a journey in life and not wait till we have arrived to think that we can have an impact. We need to realize that it's from the boardroom to the classroom to the living room that we need to make known who Jesus is. And you can do that through your personal story. And every single one of you, um, God has custom designed you. He's worked you, fashioned you, formed you so that you could make an impact for Jesus Christ. 132 different times, uh, there's encounters with, between Jesus and other people. 122 times, it's outside. So I'm asking the question, are you doing your part to make a difference outside? This is where joy will come. This is where more impact will come, more influence will come. Don't relegate or delegate your church faith into Sunday morning. This is a place that you're going to grow in your journey and, and learning who Jesus Christ is. But we need to always go and make a difference. And we predominantly do that uh, through uh, sharing and showing the love of Christ outside of this, these church walls. From a recent report I, I found interesting, um, it's a response to kind of a post-Christian culture. There is uh, this little statement I want to read to you about um, what's happening in our culture. Um, the fastest growing religious group in America right now is the religiously unaffiliated. With over 30 million new adherents in the last decade alone, many of these people are apathetic, cynical, or even hostile towards the church. So they've been called the religious nuns by many uh, uh, statisticians, sociologists, whatnot, um, researchers, and they are folks that basically don't adhere to any group. I, I would help you in reaching these kinds of people. Um, you can tell them our church is not a denomination. That helps. We are a church that loves Jesus, teaches the Bible. You can, you can tell them that. Um, if you're new here and you're curious and you fall into this, I don't adhere to any one group, great. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are a Christian church. Uh, we love Jesus, and we, we teach the Bible. Our church is based around loving God and loving neighbor. Those are the, good, the great commandments. Um, so this is something I, I want to make you aware of, that there is a growing f group uh, that are very cynical or hostile towards the church. But I found it very interesting in doing the research is that th this is what I found in the research. I sent it to uh, Pastor Joshua this week. I said, boy, this is good stuff. You should share this with our community group leaders. Um, I found that the number one tip that they had, listen to this, the number one tip that they had on engaging these individuals was to meet them outside of the church. They said, do not try to just your first encounter uh, try to just get them to church. It's be the church in the community that you're in, the workplace that you're in. They said, we would encourage you to think about inviting to a home or inviting to a coffee shop or a neutral territory. This doesn't mean we shouldn't invite people to church. It means that more than bringing people to the church, you need to be the church out in the community. Does that make sense? And so just as the nation of Israel, as believers, were called to be a light unto the nations, so has the church been sent by the Father and the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the world around us. And so uh, Jesus says this in Acts 1.8. He says that you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You and I are called to be witnesses to other individuals. 
Well, let me close out with our last part of our test uh, uh, message is don't skip the hard part. I want to challenge you that when you're being a witness that you don't skip the hard part in your story. Um, for some of you, maybe there's a, a, a really challenging past and it, you would need to take more time and wisdom on how to think about communicating that without causing any more damage. And that is true. Um, but notice the woman that we learn from, there's a powerful effect that she is sharing her testimony and she's saying, he showed me and told me all that I'd ever done. What I want to encourage you to think about is that God wants to use your mess for a message. God wants to use your past troubles for a present testimony. He wants to use your misery for a ministry. He wants to use the hard parts to help people out. Um, this is perhaps so one of those things that uh, I've noticed over the years and being in a, a teaching role for two decades now, 20 years, I started really young, I noticed the people that I looked up to, um, they seem to have it all together. And, and, the, and there's been a shift in kind of the leadership approach of being more genuine and more authentic. But in times past, the typical leader we looked at were almost plastic smiles, perfect people, everything was all together. I think not skipping the hard part, even for the leader, is crucially important. Because there's a level of authenticity that's there that's deeply need needed in our culture. And I would challenge you to find some of the hard parts of your story so that God can receive all the more glory and make an impact for Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would now uh, transition and just hear about some of the good things that are happening in the hearts and the homes of folks at North Valley. Um, Lord, I pray that you would stir us up towards love and good deeds to do a greater good all throughout our community. And may we give you praise for the things that you're already doing. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Open it up. If you've got something good to share and you're like, man, this is a really cool thing, just raise your hand and I will, uh, we got one right over there and then uh, right over here, there you go. And we're going to hold the mic so that you can't take the mic and run off in our service. Uh, I just want to talk about fathers in the field, how excited I am to see what God's doing in this church and through the men, um, not only just the men, but Really, everybody's rallying around this ministry. We have, uh, it's just awesome to see uh, Phil and Camden show up to church today. Awesome. This morning, we got a chance to see um, the, the, the start of the second signing ceremony. There are more men that are stepping into this role as a mentor father, um, one that can't wait to get going. And so I would encourage, if, if you know of any uh, single moms, fatherless boys, age 7 to 17, Send them here. They don't have to belong to the church. They don't have to be members of the church. But send them here. They're welcome here. We, we, we have men that are ready to step into that role and just really excited to see where God's going to take this ministry. That's awesome. Let's give that. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. Thank you, Josh, for doing that. Somebody else, raise your hand, and then we'll share. We've got a couple right here. Can you trust me? Um, okay, so um, Marv and the Suttons are leaders of our small group, and last Wednesday, we meet here at the chapel every Wednesday, and we have for the last season and then this season, and we usually have this door and this side door open, and that exit sign door is always closed. We've never had it open, and last Wednesday, um, we brought food, and we were finishing our snacks, just beginning our, our session, and that door was open. And it, it was never, like I said, ever open. And as we're all in our word, we look up and this man had walked in the door. And of course, instinctively, I kind of grabbed my purse and, you know, I'm like, okay, where's a weapon just in case? And, which is terrible to think. Wow. I was, I was really She's bold. scary at life. But anyway, so he walked in and um, we all looked up and said hi. And, and he said, um, I need to give this money someone came into my store and we i we, none of us could remember what his label on his shirt said and they had left a tip when they purchased but they also had left a card 
of this church mm. to kind of as an invitation. And he said, I didn't feel right keeping the money, so I wanted to donate it back to your church. So we don't know who did that, but he came into our church, and then we said, do you want to join our group? And he said, oh, no. And we said, do you want to eat? Are you hungry? And he goes, I'm hungry, but I have to get home to my kids. And so we said, well, thank you so much. And so then he left. So we're hoping he'll come back. That's but that awesome. was so weird. It's never, ever had that door open and yeah. locked in that night. But what if he said, I have a food that you do not know about? <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> Thanks. That's too cool. Let's celebrate that. All right. One more. Oh, please. Uh, hi. Um, I actually had some health issues for the last five months and have been in pain every day. And then I've had people praying over me, including my husband. And today I've had no pain. And I wanted to just, <laughs> I just wanted to say it out loud. Thank you, God. If it doesn't, if it doesn't last today, I'll be fine. Because at the moment, I have no pain. <laughs> Amen. That's great. One more. We got time for one more. Over here. One of these guys. So you had mentioned today, Pastor, about sharing your faith with others and mm -hmm. just being a professor at Grand Canyon University gives mm -hmm. me the opportunity every day to share devotions with every one of my students. And in several of my classes, actually, we have students that do the devotions themselves, and it just is a wonderful blessing. And I get so many, so many reviews at the end of the semester from students about the devotions that we've covered during class. But I, this was the real, the real reason that I wanted to, to share my testimony. And you had said, God wants you to, to uh, share your troubles as a testimony. And so over the past several years, I have been involved in a court case regarding a very expensive software development project. And um, that was, I, was, I was basically the, the senior software engineer that was in charge of this software development project. And so through this entire process of this court case, which has been going on for years and years, I've had devotions every day that have been provided to me that have paralleled this court case. Has anybody ever experienced that in their lives? You know, I'm only in my 20s, and I have hardly ever experienced that in my life. I always tell my students, I'm in my 20s, my great <laughs> because of my two I'm daughters. thinking, was that a... Yeah. Well. Yeah, so I, I even had scripture provided to me by God. I was out running on the trails, and that's where I do a lot of my devotions. Scripture was provided to me on a Saturday, and guess what? pastor preaches on that on Sunday morning. Yeah. I mean, how many people have experienced that? Right. That yeah, is amazing. That's great. My, my wife says she experiences that a lot, but that was the first time in my life that I've ever experienced that. And just to go on, I could go on and on and on, but God told me there would be a season of calm. And that was last year. We had, after that, we had several months where nothing actually happened. It was a perfect season of calm. And then kind of the key thing that came out of this whole thing is that... Um, you learn to give God all the praise and the glory. There's too many times that we go around saying, look what I've done. Look at what I've done. And I said, Bill, make sure you give God the praise and glory for what he has done in your life. So it's one of the key things I think that, that I have learned out of this. And I've had several devotions that have come back and told me, you have to document everything that's going on through this so that I can come back and actually have a, I don't want to call it a sermon, but I need to go and share my testimony with the world. That's how powerful these testimonies have been through this whole process. So. Amen. Let's give that celebrate. Well, that's it for our time on that. I want to say thank you for sharing. I know many of you also have a story to share, and I would encourage you to share it. Um, but I want you to hear something that really, um, really history is about his story. And you're part of making history in the lives of some family or in the lives of some individual. Um, but he wants his story to be the common theme in that. And I love what Bill shared about it's almost like this an exciting adventure to trust Jesus Christ in the journey. And the Christian life is a journey. There are uphills, there are downhills, there are dark valleys. It is challenging seasons and circumstances. There are high points where you can look out and you see everything and you're so proud and so grateful and sometimes things are going really smooth and sometimes they're going really difficult. And I want to encourage you to trust in that. And then remember, sharing these stories about how God's interacting with you, in you, that's powerful. I mean, nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue with that. That's your story and God working through you. So I want to encourage you to do that. 
Well, hey, uh, right now we're going to, I just want to pause for a moment and encourage you in your giving and as a response to the good work that God's doing in your life. Um, I don't do this enough, but I want to just share with you why I think it's important to give um, and give you a couple of uh, ideas to think about. Um, those of you that are already giving or those of you that have never yet given. Um, giving, to me, I see it in the Bible as it's an acknowledgement. So I'm going to give you the ABCs of giving real quick. It's an acknowledgement that everything comes from the Lord. It's an acknowledgement that everything you receive, you say, thank you, Lord Jesus. I acknowledge your blessing, your provision in my life. Therefore, I want to give financially. And the Bible calls for a tithe. The Bible says that 10%. And you think, man, that's really high. Well, think about it on God's end. He's like, I'm letting you keep 80%. I want you to give 10% back. And it's a sign and a symbol that, God's, that you're honoring the Lord with your wealth with all of it, but that 10% is the acknowledgement. So I want to challenge you, if you've never yet done that, at least do this. Go home, run the numbers, and see what percent you would be proud of. That's what I challenge you to do. Do that. As a husband, wife, or a couple, what percent would you be proud of? It's an acknowledgement of God's goodness in your life. B, it's an opportunity for you as a believer um, to, to receive blessing. Jesus said it like this, it is more blessed to, help me out, give than it is to receive. When you are giving in the Bible, the Bible constantly talks about blessing. You think about the passages in Malachi, you think about the passage in Proverbs where it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, then you will be blessed. Jesus said you're blessed in it. There is joy. I have never met a very committed tither in our church ever for 20 years of doing ministry, have I ever met somebody who tithes and said, this is a terrible burden. I hate it. I always hear, this is the most powerful blessing. I pray that more people would do it. That's what I hear. So I want to challenge you and realize that A, it's an acknowledgement. B, it's a blessing. And then three, for C, it's contributing. It's contributing to help advance together to make a difference for Jesus Christ. When we're giving together, it's a contribution. It's a partnership. It's a coming together and saying, we're going to make a difference for the good of people and the glory of God. So I want to challenge you to think about that. If you haven't yet jumped on our team in that, please do so. And you can see there's four ways to give. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to continue in our worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for the powerful opportunity just to hear the stories of you working in the lives of people, I pray that we would come together and act and live out our faith for the good of others and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.